I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Tommy Moore! Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Well, it doesn't belong coming around again. The Six Nations is almost upon us. New year, new hashtag team of us. Andy Farrell has named his squad and joining me to discuss that and more are Murray Kinsler of the 42.e. How are you, Murray? I'm great. How are you? I'm super. Thank you very much. And joining us as well is a marquee signing whose arrival in this building has competitors muttering about salary caps, cheating and general scallywaggery. It is <laughs> Gary Doyle of the 42.e now as well. How are you, Gary? Free transfer. <laughs> Project Blair. Yes. Sweeping the sheds already. Welcome, Gary. How are you getting on? Great. Thank you. Good to be here, Gavin. Super. Well, we've got uh, loads to talk about. We'll start with the Ireland squad, which I think is going to be the talking point of the week. And we will finish with a quick look back and look ahead to the European action of last weekend and this coming weekend as well. So, the squad, Murray. Firstly, just your overall impressions. You were doing a good bit of writing about it yesterday and had another piece out this morning. Are you satisfied with uh, the selections that Farrell has made? I think it's an exciting squad. The, the tendency as soon as you see a selection is to see who's missing. And certainly there are a couple of jarring omissions, surprising omissions here. But there is also a sense of, of a bit of change. Now, obviously, a lot of familiar faces. There aren't that many uh, international quality players in a, in a country as small as Ireland. But there's a nice sense of, of maybe renewal and, and that, that bit of freshness with five uncapped players and a couple of guys who are back in having not played for Ireland for, for quite some time. So it definitely feels like a, a very new era. There's even different le- terminology. There's development players that tagged on at the bottom of this squad. There's been stock takes and there's, um, yeah, there's a couple of new faces as well. So overall, I think it's a pretty exciting squad. Andy Farrell referenced dynamism, power those kind of athletic qualities and certainly it looks like a couple of guys have have edged in on on that front as well as kind of laying laying down a challenge to those who have missed out he says he's going to pick on form he said he's picking on form and that was the kind of message in December when they met up to to kind of put your hand up and you see guys like Jack O'Donoghue having done that so yeah I think it's an exciting time for Irish rugby yeah so the easy talking points I suppose are the omissions but let's start with the uncapped players because all of these guys are are in their on merit, regardless of who they're perceived to be replacing or keeping out of the squad. Um, up your direction, Gary, like Billy Burns, if we're honest, probably wouldn't have been uh, involved in the squad if it wasn't for Definitely an injury not. to Joey Carberry, but yeah. a massive opportunity just to put his hand up in that sort of team environment uh, for future consideration and just to establish himself as, as part of this squad, which, uh, as we've stated, is, is kind of starting with a clean slate. I think it was really important for Farrell to put his stamp on this squad in this way, Gav. And the reason I say that is when the World Cup sort of went south, a lot of people were referencing the, the fact that it was the Schmidt-Farrell partnership, which is a bit unfair because Schmidt, is, if anybody is his own man, it's Joe Schmidt. So in this respect, Farrell had to, you know, draw a line between his role in the previous era and also making this clear that this is his era. So there are 12 players who featured in the World Cup that aren't in this squad. So that in itself is a huge statement. And then, but at the same time, there's plenty of continuity because the team that will start, you would imagine, will be pretty much the guys that were in Japan with one or two exceptions. So in that respect, he's been clever. He's got both, he's achieved both continuity and change. And that's a difficult thing to do. And he's done so. I think the most interesting thing about it 
is as Murray Murray was talking about the dynamism of the players that have come through. So that's that's the stamp that he wants to go through. You've also got to remember so many young players that have been given the chance. Farrell was sixteen when he made his debut. So for for Wigan, this is he walked into a real probably the most hard nosed dressing room in British sport at that stage. A really successful team, and he was sixteen, and he was earning fifty quid a week as a joiner. He was getting up at half five in the morning, going and doing hours training, doing his joinery apprenticeship, and then doing training again in the evening with the most successful rugby league team of that era. So he knows what it takes, not just to address a dressing room, but also what it takes to be a young guy that gets his chance. So for him, the idea that you've you've got a number beside your name, or a number beside your name that says you're 21 years of age, that means nothing to him. At 21, he was captain of Wigan and captain of Great Britain. He won 29 of his 34 caps for Great Britain's rugby league team uh, as captain, and he he became captain at 21. So he's not he's not concerned about what the guys have done in the past. He's seeing what they can do in the future. Burns has got an opportunity. I don't think he's going to play. I don't think he's going to make the bench. But I think you're going to see some some. A few shocks. We've already seen a few shocks in terms of players are left out. I think you're going to see a few shocks when he names the team against Scotland. I wouldn't be surprised if Doris started, for for example. Mm, quite the appointment, really, isn't it, Murray? The signing of Gary, uh, more so yeah. than Andy Farrell. Now, Joe. Great, great uh, first. Unbelievable baptism of fire. Yeah. Only told him we were doing the podcast last night. Like and he's <laughs> throwing out stats. Um, it's it, it, it's it's a very actually uh, interesting point that Farrell has in naming this squad, given the perception of. A little bit of change, uh, nothing too radical. But as Gary points out, this, the team that takes to the field against Scotland probably won't be too dissimilar to what we saw in Japan. Um, you touched upon, I say, Caelan Dark. I think there'll be subtle changes, Gav. Like, I mean, already you're you're without Rory Bess and Rob Carney. Mm. So you've got that leadership. You could say there's a leadership vacuum, uh, but then there are players that are really quiet but are good leaders, like. Henshaw and Ringrose um, so when, I think the team that will play uh, against against Scotland will have a huge number of players that feature prominently in Japan but there will be the subtle changes will be Herring will probably play and well Rory Bess isn't there so Herring's the likeliest to start then in the back row I wouldn't be surprised if Doris got his opportunity but Van der Fleer and O'Mahony will probably start as well if Murray loses out, and there's no guarantee that he will, uh, and John Cooney comes in, you've still got a backline that will largely be the backline that started the the key games in Japan. Rob Carney going out, Jordan Larmer coming in is the difference. So I think the radical changes have been in the squad. I don't think there will be that many radical changes in the starting 15. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's bang on the money. The thing about the uncapped players coming in is they definitely can immediately apart from Billy Burns probably, although he's playing really good rugby with Ulster and the, the Carberry injury does open the door there. Most of them can really push quite immediately. Ronan Kelleher obviously had badly timed injury, but his form pre that injury was outstanding and, and had him very much in the mix and you'd love to see him make a debut potentially off the bench. I agree on Rob Herring. I think his form has been really good and probably provides a little bit of that leadership as well. Doris, totally agree with you. I think he's the starting number eight. Um, and potentially you might even have CJ Sander at six, depending on how Farrell wants to make up that back row, because Doris obviously is a line-out option as well, and that's what you lose with Peter Manny now. Doris isn't on that level in that area of the game, but clearly has all the attributes. He's very complete, very complete player, physically very robust now as well. He's added a bit of weight 
Uh, Deegan obviously really exciting and dynamic, slightly different number eight certainly to Doris with his handling ability. I think he could probably play outside centre. He's got such a good skill set. But the guys coming in are, are almost ready-made to, to step in and, and feature and, and put some pressure on. And that's certainly the, the sense from it. I mean, he's named a 35-man squad here. It was obviously tempting to name 38. Say Wales and Scotland have named 38. France have named 42. You can give yourself a bit of breathing room and bring in McCluskey and Niles Scanlon, a couple of others who have narrowly missed out. But he wants it to be ferociously competitive. That's what he is. He's a competitor. That's why Johnny Sexton's his captain. He sees a lot of, I, I would say, a lot of similar attributes to, to what he had as a player. He wants guys absolutely fighting for every spot on the, on the training pitch. Now, that... I know Joe Schmidt wanted that as well, but maybe that wasn't always the case. Maybe there was a kind of clear team who were going to start and other guys ended up holding tackle bags. He doesn't want any extra passengers, so he's got two twelve say there. McCloskey might be standing around a little bit waiting for his reps in training at times. So I think it's a good a good thing that they've put that bit of pressure on themselves by narrowing down the squad slightly. They still do have those development players, which I think is actually a really good thing to do as well, kind of signalling some further potential and, and guys getting a taste of international rugby pretty quickly in their careers. Yeah, it's a subtle change to actually name the development players nearly as part of that overall squad. It's a question actually from Quailon. There have been loads of questions in the members' WhatsApp group this morning about the squad and you just was wondering what you make of that, just the decision to actually list them officially as development players rather than have them in there as de facto development players uh, in the squad sort of yeah. more subtly. Yeah, they would have they would have brought guys in the odd time in and out of, of squads. A lot of time they would have ended up bringing actually in a lot of sub-academy players from Leinster and even some club players when they needed to flesh out their numbers. Um, and I think Farrell just wants every single person who's on the training pitch with him to be someone who can genuinely play for Ireland in the maybe short-term, medium-term future. And that's what you're getting. I think it's so exciting. Ryan Baird, a guy who's 20, Harry Byrne, 20. They're still finding their feet with Leinster, really. Um, and now they get into the mix here, signalling their potential, certainly. And the other two stories are, are really good as well. Will Connors, what is he, 23? He's had to kind of bide his time. Uh, excellent form for Leinster. And he also gets a, a chance to sample it. I think Balakun's most interesting of all. He's still only 22. He took up rugby when he was 15. Mm. Uh, I think he was playing football up until then. He was playing, in as recently as 2017, he was playing for Enniskill and RFC in the Towns Cup final up in Ulster. He was playing uh, AIL earlier this season as well, yeah, only, only yeah. six or seven weeks ago. Scoring he was a hat-trick actually yeah. relatively recently. But he got into the Ireland Sevens mix, really accelerated as a player. He's obviously an, a, a remarkable athlete. And then they brought him into the Ulster Academy fold and onwards. So I think the RFU would be delighted. First of all, he got it for man man in there playing, but also someone who's come through the Sevens programme and, and, and showing his potential. I think he's been excellent for Ulster as well. So I think it's good to formalise that. It's going to be as fluid. I mean, that was a word that was kind of going around yesterday. Farrell sees this squad as, OK, here's my 35-man squad, but it could be fluid. People can come in and out during Six Nations. If someone's not delivering say in training or in a match they can slide out of that squad and, and someone who's putting their hand up at a provincial level uh, that's the challenge laid down to people like Reese Ruddock to to step up that a little bit more and it's going to be fluid as well with those developing players as well giving the real hot prospects a chance to to get a taste really early yeah so members.the42.e if you want to sign up to become a the 42 member and get involved in the whatsapp group which no doubt will be a buzz with activity and opinions over the course of the six nations we're looking forward to that uh, a couple of more uh, questions from Quailon here in relation to the starting team and gary you and i very briefly touched upon it before uh, we came in and you were kind of confident enough that you could uh, you could put together a, a 15 or what you reckon it would be um you 
I think three of us would be in agreement that it looks like Herring will start at hooker. That's one of Quaylon's questions to begin yeah, with. Yeah, I think you're looking at Healy, Herring, Furlong. Yeah. In that front row, Healy's form has been good. Furlong's had that challenge from Porter and, and he'll mm. keep pushing him. So mm. there's a bit of form there and, and obviously Herring's dynamism as well. Mm. Uh, the back row is going to be one of the main points of contention. There seems to be a... I actually think the second row will be a right contest as with well. With Dev, Dev Toner back. Toner's coming back. He's not going to put him on the bench. Uh, he's either going to be starting or else he's going to be in his uh, in his shirt and tie in the stand, like you know. So I wouldn't be surprised if Toner did start. His form has been good since uh, since the omission, and that's a point worth making. Up and and following on from what Murray was saying, that even though Ruddock isn't in this squad, Cooney wasn't in the World Cup squad, and that clearly uh, motivated them hugely to produce the performance that he has produced with Ulster this season and he's catapulted himself into pole position to to start at nine. Now the opportunity is there for Ruddock and for Niall Scannell as well. And also McCluskey. I'd say McCluskey at this stage is wondering what he has to do to get to get into the panel. But when you look at it coldly, even though his form has been has been fairly good for Ulster, aside from if you think back to the first minute against Claremont on Saturday, he should have if he had slipped a pass to the to the overlapping players, Ulster would have started with a try as opposed to to a penalty and that's kind of summed up his his career to an extent in that he's puts himself in the right position but he doesn't necessarily execute terribly well but anyway I'm digressing a little if you're looking at who McCluskey should be in the squad ahead of it's either Aki or Henshaw that have to drop out and realistically is he better than those two guys we're not saying he's not a very good player but he's third choice in a very competitive race um same with the second row. Delan, it's great to see him back in the squad. He should have went to Japan. Uh, the impact he can make off the bench is huge. And you only have to think back to his debut at Twickenham uh, when he came off the bench. He had a huge impact that day. I can see Toner starting alongside Ryan with Henderson or Delan, probably Henderson named on the bench, coming off to inject a bit of energy for the last half hour. When it gets to the back row, absolutely it's competitive. Uh, I think we're going to see, uh, there's, I definitely think Darce is in the mix to start. And I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, well, if he does start, then either Stander or O'Mahony are going to lose out. Uh, Van der Fleer, I think, will we'll keep his place. But it's that is definitely a, a competitive area. Yeah, so. yeah, and the back line probably does have that little bit of a more settled look. Cooney, I think, has, has earned a shot. And it would it would be a good thing for Conor Murray as well, in a way, to, to get that kick up the hole and, and a reminder that he's not undroppable you know what I mean um, Johnny uh, Johnny Sexton obviously starts he's the captain he's the leader and it by all accounts is, is coming along well with that knee injury um, and then your centres I mean Aki is is very hard to leave out of any team because he's so physically robust he can play as well I think that's would, underrated would you leave him out would you not leave him out if Henshaw was fit now the, that, that is a big if because yeah. not, not necessarily just around Henshaw but there has rarely there have rarely been occasions where when, they're all fit. When all four guys have been fit at the same time, the team has tended to pick itself on the basis that uh, you only think back to the Grand Slam year when Farrell, Ringrose, and Henshaw all started outside centre, and Aki was the one constant. But if you had a choice between Aki and Henshaw, would you not go for the Henshaw Ringrose combination? I personally would, but I'm I'm not convinced that Farrell will see it that way. I mean, mm-hmm. Joe Schmidt, he didn't leave out Aki when he was fit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it obviously worked out that way. He he did become the the glue of that team, and and 2018 Grand Slam, he was 
probably the key figure, even though it was slightly under the radar. But even going we into the World Cup, Aki was arguably Ireland's best player. Like, I, I thought yeah. there was nearly an, an explosion of form by him to, in the latter half of last year, where everyone else was, was nearly tailing off a, a cliff. Aki became, he went nuclear for a while in the centre. You think of the warm-up games, and even during the actual World Cup, he was one of the consistent performers yeah. until the red card. Really good. I mean, you have the cohesion of Henshaw and, and Ringrose playing a lot together. Henshaw's a really good defender as well, which is massive, obviously, for Andy Farrell. And he'll probably value that. You wonder, will he value that more than other things because of what he's been doing for the last few years? It's a great selection headache to have, to be fair. Um, personally, I'd always go for that Henshaw-Ringrose combination. I think it works it's, really yeah, well. Yeah, and especially, Murray, if, he, if Farrell does make changes at eight and at nine, which on form are the two positions where there probably are going to be changes. So if you're going... If you're going Doris, Cooney, Sexton, then you've definitely got uh, a case to make for keeping the Leinster continuity at 10, 12, 13. So I think Henshaw is probably edging ahead of Aki to, to get in there at 12 at this yeah, stage. Yeah, I mean, Aki, Henshaw, Aki, Ringrose and, and Sexton probably have a, a decent amount of cohesion built up as well. Like both both would work and both would mm-hmm. be equally effective, uh, I think. Um, Larmour for me is... Is going to be the 15. Addison has been excellent as well. I, I think he's really raised that question, I think, there. Uh, Stockdale looks to be revitalised. He looks really aggressive defensively, which is excellent to see. He obviously got a try for Ulster as well, which I think he he really thrives off. Obviously, he's a, a prolific scorer, but he, he'll had a bit of a barren run with Ulster, and he looks very pleased with himself. Also noticeable that he did that quite secure dive rather than the, the <laughs> one he dropped um, uh, like against Leinster in that quarter final. Um, and then the other wing, Earls, is, is difficult to leave out with that experience, with maybe a couple of changes in the team. I think his quiet form of leadership, as you say, is underrated. He's an influence on the other players, certainly in the back three. Uh, helps those guys learn an awful lot. Andrew Conway, though, is is, is putting his hand up frequently and, and looks really athletically outstanding at the moment. He's always had that pace, that evasive skill, but he's really solid defensively, good in the air as well. So, again, there's a, there's a nice couple of options there. Um, but yeah, it looks like a team with plenty of form. And I think just making those couple of changes without completely tearing apart the spine of the team, that um, gives everyone that little bit of incentive, even those guys who don't quite make it. I want to go back to the back row in a moment just to get a, a very definitive answer from you both as to who you think will start and who you would even start. But just actually while we're on the topic of the wing and that Earls versus Conway um, debate that may or may not take place but also one that should probably involve Dave Carney given the form he's produced over the last 15-16 uh, yeah. games for Leinster uh, which is a point that Jangles makes in the in the WhatsApp group as well but like if you were to base it on this season so far and say if it did come down to Earls and Conway as to who would start opposite Stockdale like surely is there not a Conway, that it could be Conway against Stockdale as well though? yeah no there, there is yeah for sure but I'm, I'm just saying like like Conway's form has been really solid throughout this season. Stockdale's has not been as consistent. Mm. So again, you're we're going back to 2018 and you're thinking of how devastating Stockdale was that season and how consistent he was as well. And you're also thinking towards the tail end of the year when he got the try against the All Blacks. But he didn't play terribly well in the World Cup. And sometimes... Sometimes you can't always base a team selection on what happened in the past, and you just have to select on form. And it's, by doing that, you're not saying that Stockdale isn't a viable option, or you're not even saying that Conor Murray isn't a superb player or isn't in good form. But 
Cooney arguably is in slightly better form and Conway arguably is in better form than Jacob Stockdale. So by making these selections, you're not uh, dissing on the guys that don't get selected, hmm. but you're just acknowledging the fact that these guys are playing. Yeah. But knocking, I, that, knocking that's, it out of the park. Like, but you know? I would argue that Conway, um, and at the moment, in, even though it's a more recent burst of form, both Conway and Stockdale are in better form than Keith Earls, which was the point that I was going to make is that even though Earls has that wealth of experience, he's a lethal finisher, uh, he has that quiet leadership and he's respected by everybody in the squad. Like he had a really nice break in, in the Racing game last weekend and he, he does look like he's coming back to something uh, resembling his form last year. But I personally haven't, wouldn't have seen enough uh, of that form this year to suggest that he's kind of a shoe in on the wing. And like you, it's kind of come, I think that comes down to one of the conundrums facing Farrell as to how much he does actually tear it up tear up the the script that had been written for the last couple of years yeah and you've you've kind of pointed out the balance there like we're talking about form Farrell has pushed guys to back form but we know for a fact that it's not only about that mm. particularly at test level that the experience you mentioned the defensive decision making that Earls brings that maybe that calm that he brings those things are important to weigh up as well I think he looks athletically really good at the moment. He had that knee injury during the World Cup. He was carrying that. He was trying to rehab it, trying to play. I don't think he was at 100%. He's not really one to complain. Um, and since then, he hasn't really had a whole lot of opportunity. He had a bad game against Ulster away. It was a really uncharacteristic performance. It looked like he was lacking a bit of focus. But aside from that, when he's had those little little glimpses of opportunity, I think he's been really razor sharp. You mentioned the Racing game away. I thought in the Racing game at home, they needed to get the ball into his hands more often because any time they did, he beat a defender. He looked electric on, on the ball. Um, and I think he's when he's had a chance, he's taken it really well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult to weigh up that form when someone's probably not as involved in games as they have been, not necessarily up by their own fault. Um, and that's not saying Andrew Conway hasn't been good. I think he has been really good. I thought he was excellent in the World Cup and probably should have featured a little bit more. So uh, you got to weigh up little bits of form versus experience versus other things that you bring that are slightly less obvious to us when we're just watching the game as well. The intangibles, yeah. Like uh, Just to finish on the team then that you reckon will play, the back row, um, it's always interesting like to see how Peter O'Malley's form, I think, is scrutinised more so than any other back row in the country. Uh, I thought he had a fantastic game actually last weekend in Paris, although his form seems to be patchy, really, uh, compared to the standards he'd set himself a couple of years ago and beyond that. In that he can produce a big performance, like even you think of the shellacking we took at the hands of the All Blacks, Omani was one of the better players, if not Ireland's best player, despite a, a silly penalty he gave away towards half-time. Um, but those performances seem to be coming few and far between, and yet he is certainly a player who, like if Earls has that wealth of experience and a quiet leadership style, Omani sort of embodies that, and you can imagine he will be selected, as Gary said earlier, uh, to start, even if his form probably wouldn't dictate that he should be actually compared to some of the guys in the squad. Yeah, I think he'd, he's well aware that he's under severe pressure more so than ever probably. I mean, he only kind of came back in, what, 2017, end of that, 2017 after after his long-term injury came in, he's got injured and things kind of picked up speed for him again there. But since then, he's really been ever-present. He still delivers those big moments. That's he's a big moments player. He he's done it. You know, you mentioned that New Zealand match. He had this line out steal and a turnover in the space of a couple of minutes that almost grabbed a bit of momentum back for Ireland, and and they couldn't capitalize on it. He's still doing that even in the Ulster game away where he played poorly. He had I think two line out steals. He had a big turnover after Ulster made a, a line break. But 
it's the bits in between that I think have slightly regressed. He was never a big ball carrier. I think his footwork used to be better pre probably the, the knee injury. I was actually looking back at that France game in 2015 when he got injured and some of his carries early in the game he was like sidestepping props and I know props are probably the easiest ones to sidestep. No offense. <laughs> you identified them. Union, but he looked a lot more dynamic, a lot more explosive. His ball carrying has regressed and Munster have challenged him this season. Johan van Graan mentioned it in one of the pressers. We've challenged him to get better at that ball carrying aspect. His his tackling has had le- less impact uh, across a kind of long term. So really that's the challenge for him, especially when you, you, you sense that Farrell rates that in the back row, that ability to hit hard, to make a, a gain, even if it's a slight gain on your every carry and not be a, a bit of a passenger in, in that sense of the game. So there there's the challenge for Romani to, to bring those levels of it slightly up and and obviously i mean sometimes he's out in the 15 meter channels for munster within their shape it doesn't help him because he never gets those carry and tackle stats up but there is part of that is his own doing and improving that application of his of of those kind of core duties as well as the big moments that that are valued by coaches i know joe schmidt obviously thought those big moments were were as important as anything and but yeah i really fancy that Ireland are going to have a change at six. I actually thought Roddick was going to be in the mix. Andy Farrell didn't rate his form as highly as, as the rest of us have. And I think they actually spoke on the phone. I think Roddick himself said he, he, he didn't feel he's going to feel he was playing at his very best. So there is a challenge for him. But I think Sander's shifting there. I think Sander's been playing well, even if it is, even if you know exactly what you're going to get, he does consistently bring those power moments. And um, I think him shifting at six, Doris with line out skill at eight, and, and Van der Fleer is just playing really good rugby he was he was good in the world cup and he's he's accelerated on since then so you've got standard six vanderfleer seven doris at eight gary you reckon peter will start at yeah six? well it's a guessing game we don't of course know, yeah we don't know but yeah no i i've my hunch would be it'll be healy hurrying furlong henderson or toner don't you don't know we're guessing but um ran will start vanderfleer omahani doris I think you'll stick with Murray, uh, Sexton, and then th- in the backfield, Larmer, uh, Stockdale and Earls, I think w- they'll retain their positions, and then Henshaw Ringrose in the centre. Do you reckon Murray will, will get that vote of confidence? We are guessing, we don't know, but... It, what makes you say that though? Why, why do you think that? Because he's still a good player, and I know Cooney, again... The debate doesn't come down to if you select one guy that the other guy's rubbish. You're selecting a very good experienced player uh, and the the most established halfback partnership in the world as opposed to a guy who has played very, very well for Ulster but who does go off script. And that was what Schmidt obviously didn't like in Cooney that he would take little runs down the blind side and uh, not, not do... Not not stick to the the prescribed formula, you know. Um, however, Cooney's form has been dynamic. He does certainly offer something something good. I remember there was a stage when there was a panic anytime Murray or Sexton went down injured that there just simply weren't. The perception was that there simply weren't alternatives, and particularly in the, as recently as the the twenty eighteen uh, Australia tour, everybody got a shot in that tour. Uh, but at halfback, it was hmm, well. We'll give Carby the first test, but as soon as that test was lost, that's it. He's gone. Like Sexton played uh, the full eighty minutes of the of the third test, even though he was cramping up. Murray, he the he is still a superb 
player. He offers so much uh, in terms of his box kicking, in terms of physique, in terms of his tackling, and his basics, his fundamentals are still very good. That's not to say Cooney isn't exceptional, it's just that we don't know how he'd perform in the white heat, whereas we do know with with Murray. And if you're going to make changes elsewhere, sometimes you've got to go for evolution rather than revolution. Like Farrell has to... Farrell's on a four-year contract, but he also knows his reputation's on the line here. If they get off to a bad start, then the fingers are being po- are going to be pointed at him. The people are going to be saying, this guy's never been a head coach before. Yes, he's a defence specialist. Uh, he's got great command of a dress room and he's got great respect but there is a big difference between having that and being the guy that has the emotions of a million rugby supporters uh resting on your shoulders so i think he will tinker but he won't completely rip the the script up he's already he's already proven thus far that he's prepared to make changes but there is a there is a big difference between changing uh, the bibs and changing the start in 15. I don't think you make too many changes. Yeah, it's an interesting point, uh, evolution versus revolution. Would you evolve or would you re- revolve? Revolt? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely a slight bit of evolution. The other thing is if you are starting, if you are going to start Cooney, then maybe CJ Sander has a, a better chance to retain the eight jersey because that's obviously in that spine of the team and, and a bit of experience just ahead of John Cooney and Sexton on the other side. It probably leans towards Sander in that sense so yeah I, I do think that Farah will I think he needs to make a couple of statement selections he's kind of done it with the squad he's not completely ripped up the script but it's very much a new squad a new era I think the same has to happen with the team to move on without taking great risks because John Cooney's form now isn't a great risk he's been excellent his passing is good his kicking is good possibly not as consistent as Murray's um, and I don't think Conor Murray is playing badly and I think that's no, he's not. caught up in it I think every time he makes an error now people are bemoaning the, the terrible form he's in he was good last weekend again um, without being particularly outstanding in, in big moments um, I think he's been playing solid rugby so yeah either of those could, could, could do a fine job but I feel that there's a couple of selection statements he needs to make and, and Cooney would be an ideal one He's named as captain Johnny Sexton and it's a subject that you and I broached, was it during a members podcast or one of the regular ones, it's hard to know, yeah. um, in the aftermath of the World Cup. Yeah. It's one of the more depressed uh, podcasts. And <laughs> we did kind of say at the time that one of the possibilities for Ireland uh, moving forward would be to give the captaincy to somebody like Sexton and for there to be potentially a, a kind of a handover two years into this upcoming World Cup cycle, wherein James Ryan uh, would be the likely candidate to take, to take over from there on the presumption that Sexton wouldn't make it to the next World Cup. Kind of seems as though that is now likely, although Sexton could yet do a, a sort of a Tom Brady on it um, and, and keep going. We don't know. But do you think it was the correct call to go with Sexton in this instance, Murray? Yeah, that was definitely my my um, feeling straight after the World Cup when all that hype I guess was growing around James Ryan who definitely didn't enjoy that he likes to keep under the radar even though he's one of the best in the world already I just sense it was a little bit too early for him he has not done the captaincy for Leinster at senior level yet he's definitely still finding his feet as a personality in the group he's I mean Stuart Lancaster's talked about he's slightly introverted he's not a a huge personality in that sense now he's a, a huge player that you follow and he definitely leads by example and will continue to do that he'll continue to learn he's in that leadership group already he was before the World Cup and I think it's ideal for him to 
yeah, as you say, potentially step in. Now, Johnny Sexton has no plans for, for finishing up anytime soon, but you can see that very much happening. I do think it's a good appointment just in the fact that Johnny Sexton has all the the qualities to be a brilliant captain. We we know how demanding he is. We know how driven he is. Uh, Gary Ringrose talked yesterday about how he's that standard setter and he's, he's never let that uh, fade away. There'll be challenges, obviously, in probably in dealing with referees, First and foremost, I think it was pointed that he made a big effort with that after the World Cup with Leinster. I, I noticed really in a couple of the games how he was being almost polite with referees and agreeing with their decisions at times and 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 knowing when to push them and when to be a bit more assertive. Um, and that's something he's always probably had to find a balance of in his career, both with other players and teammates as well as referees and coaches. So he wanted to do this so badly he wants to be the captain of a winning Ireland team he's going to be so driven he has massive respect from all his teammates from all his opposition he's one of the best in the world and we kind of forget about that at times and um, I can remember him before the New Zealand match the quarterfinal he's like all you, all you guys the media are going to be calling for me to, to be gone from the team after the World Cup but here he is as the, the, the very much the leader of the team and I think it's a good appointment from Farrell as I mentioned earlier on they're both serious competitors they're both driven and demanding um, and I think they'll work really well together as a team um, and I'm not going to steal your point but you made a good point we were chatting about this I was WhatsApping you yesterday go on make your point because you said no, no, if Johnny it. Sexton if Johnny Sexton is, is injured then James Ryan could actually captain a, a team for Ireland in the Six Nations without all the, the hyper, hyperbole that's Gav's point just to make it clear No, no. Um, but it was, a, it was a very good one and it allows maybe Ryan to do the job at some stage without being announced as Ireland's next captain and, and everything that comes with that so for me it, it makes sense I, I think you very much agree Gary without a doubt uh, Ryan from what we're hearing he's very very quiet in the dressing room so that's not that doesn't bode well it's one thing being a young guy like Andy Farrell back in the early 90s that was very self-confident and had already the responsibility of being he'd had a five-year-old by that stage so different personalities Ryan's personality who's to say he will ever make a good captain we don't mm. know uh, he might just be a very good player and be a quiet leader Whereas Sexton has won the European Cup on four occasions, he's a serial winner, and like um, the piece that we were that we were working on last night, this dates back to when when he was a kid coming out of the acad of the academy at Leinster in the days when Leinster were going nowhere really and they were regarded as a fairly flaky team. And O'Driscoll had uh, spoken to the squad and said guys until we reach the stage where you guys call me out and things we're going to we're going to win nothing we're going nowhere and that was the same season that Sexton waited his time O'Driscoll threw him a sloppy pass in training and he called him out on it and that was when the rest of the squad realized that even though at that stage he was number two possibly even number three uh, fly half at, at Leinster that this guy has got real leadership he's a strong personality he's not afraid to speak up now, obviously, that's a very long time ago, and he probably sp- speaks up too much to the to the rest of the squad, and he can be perceived to be too critical. And I remember in the game against Wales last year in the in the Six Nations when Rob Carney threw a sloppy pass, Sexton's reaction wasn't fantastic. So he has to get the balance right between uh, being a good leader and being a tough guy being tough in terms of setting exacting standards and also deep down when he's at home he's going to have to think about how he wants to be remembered by the rest of the squad statistically 
he will go down as one of the greatest players that we've had. And you only have to look at his CV, the number of trophies that he has won, to appreciate the fact that, that he's one of the best players of his generation. But teammates don't remember players uh, for their CVs. They remember them for people. So he now has the opportunity to become a great leader. And that's different to being a great player. Being a great leader is inspiring guys to to reach levels that they haven't previously reached uh and they're young guys coming into the game or sorry coming into the squad and even the likes of rob harrion who's now going to get the opportunity to be a number one like that's where sexton he has to connect with these guys and has to not just lead by example but also be farrell's right hand man and be the guy that can convince uh, his teammates that they can go to another level so it's a big big moment for him in his career even though it's come to an end um, just just on Farrell's kind of quotes around this he also mentioned that strong support group and that is a big part of it it's interesting what's happened in Ulster Rory Best has left this completely dominant personality who made decisions on a roby basis and sometimes even higher up it felt like and other guys have emerged someone like Luke Marshall has really found his voice and they feel that because Ian Henderson is not the same as Rory Best, it's it's spread amongst the team a little bit more. And I would imagine Farrell wants that to happen. You mentioned Ringrose, a guy who can be pretty quiet. He'll find his voice a bit more. Keane Healy, Earls, I know they're older players, but they're, they're leaders in their own right. Obviously, Peter Manny's got that bit of leadership. And I think James Ryan will continue to grow into that. He's done a really good job captaining underage teams, which is obviously very different. But I think he has a, a real voice. And, and I think the fact that it'll maybe be a little bit spread around the team is good for him. We need to talk about the club rugby as well before we wrap because the Journal's Explainer podcast is due to record here in a, in a few minutes. Um, Gary, you've won the hearts of the Southern Province uh, with your coverage of Munster over the last week or so. I think just uh, digging us out of the hole of sadness that we've found ourselves <laughs> in, um, in your power rankings and also in a very good piece uh, in which you stress that Munster are not, uh, in fact, in crisis despite some of the suggestions from the likes of myself and others well there's there's something that's just something that, I, that i've noticed scav is people are judging monster on the past okay but they're ignoring the fact that only two teams in the in the last 10 years have reached the knockout stages on more occasions than monster and that's saracens and leinster so the point i really wanted to make during the week was that teams have come and gone you think back to the noughties and perpignan Stade Francais and Biarritz, they were regulars in the knockout stages, as were Munster. But all three teams, nobody mentions them anymore because, yes, they still exist, but they don't exist in a meaningful sense in European Cup rugby. Munster have uh, persisted all the way through. They've reached the semi-final, uh, I think it's six times uh, in the last in the last 10 years. They have uh, consistently got to a level and then they've reached... Uh, they've reached that level and haven't been able to go beyond. There is an elite, I would say, of five teams in Europe this season, Toulouse, Racing, Clermont, Leinster and Saracens, and Munster are on the next tier at this stage. Their form, Otherwise, if, if they weren't in the next tier, they'd be in the quarterfinals. But I think they've been penalised by the fact just they've been really unfortunate with the draw that they've got. Racing were third seeds when really they should have been first seeds, given their pedigree. And coming out of that group, I mean, we're talking about two kicks. Uh, and I th- 
had had they nailed the win against Racing at home and had they taken the penalty against Saracens away, we'd be having a completely different conversation. Now, you can throw that back in my face and say, well, look, that's elite sport. You make, you, you live or die by good decisions and by, by key moments. But I thought Keith Earls made a really good point in the press conference this week when he said that they've only had five uh, opportunities this year to play their full-strength team because of um, mixture of injuries and the players being away at the World Cup. And also the fact that they've brought in two... There have been huge backroom changes this year with Roundtree and uh, Larkham coming in. So they haven't had that opportunity for, for cohesion, continuity and planning. And you think back, this reminds me so much of the 2015-16 season when Irish provinces failed to reach the knockout stages any of them, and that that was that on, that has only happened on one occasion in this deck, and or sorry, in the last decade, and that was again after the World Cup. And the World Cups have a bigger uh, impact on Irish provinces than they do on the French and English clubs, on the basis that they just have more uh, participants in the in in the World Cup. And the final point I'd like to make is, we're talking about. Munster not qualifying for the quarterfinals and how this is a really big deal. And it's a big deal because they've been there so often. If you compare them to the Welsh and the Scottish clubs, there have only been four examples in the last 10 years of Scottish clubs getting to the knockout stages of the Champions Cup. And there have only been three examples of Welsh clubs getting there as well. Take Saracens out of the mix and there's only been two uh, examples of... Uh, English Premiership clubs getting to the semi-finals of the Champions Cup since Northampton uh, were beaten by Leinster in the 2011 final. So my point is that, yes, judge them. If you're going to judge them by the standards of the past, then you've also got to judge them by the standards of the rivals in the Pro 14. And Scarlets, aside from getting to the semi-final once, have done next to nothing in Europe for 10 years. And Glasgow have got a couple of quarterfinals, but have been nowhere near as effective as Munster have and nowhere near as effective as Ulster have been. Ulster have been to the knockout stages on five occasions in the last 10 years. So my point is that three of the Irish provinces have also been amongst the top seven European teams that have appeared in knockout rugby over the last 10 years. And that just proves that they take Europe more seriously and they're also more effective uh, in European competition. And I just think a bit of perspective is needed and I don't think it's been applied to Munster. Gary Doyle standing up and fighting. I'd Proud like Munster man. QED. Uh, yeah, it, they're all fair points and, and as I said, you have a couple of pieces on the site from during the week if people want to go back and check them out. Uh, I think you'll enjoy them. Threw one of them into the members WhatsApp group last night as soon as it was published. went down pretty well. Um, the other three provinces then, Murray, I suppose, it's Ulster with uh, something very significant to play for this weekend. Do you fancy it didn't get you the job done at home to Bath? Yeah, absolutely. Win and they're into the quarterfinals. I can't see them uh, letting this one slip. A Bath team will be interesting. They've lost five out of five so far, so really their interest is completely gone. It sounds like they're going to actually feel a pretty strong team. The likes of McConaughey and Ewells are back. Rocco Dagooney maybe in there. A couple of real weapons, but yeah, I can't see them not finishing off the job. They've been excellent so far. Obviously, disappointment in, in Clermont, but showed they're very much getting back towards that level of competing away against a, a really strong French team. So I expect them to be in, yeah. And, and the way I've looked at it, maybe a way to Racing in the quarterfinals, which would be a tricky one. Obviously, they, they're not going to be able to top the group, but a, a good campaign so far all around. 
Yeah, you happy so far watching Ulster and do you fancy to get the, them to get the job done, Gary, this weekend? Yeah, in a word, yeah. <laughs> Super. Super. Well, boys, we'll leave it there. Thanks a million for your time. Thank you. A stunning debut by Mr. Doyle. Really, really impressive. 10 out of 10. Yeah. Thanks a million for joining us, Gary. And uh, we will speak to everyone at home very soon indeed. Enjoy the rugby over the weekend. And until next week, thanks for listening and take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh, 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 Magic!